Another absolute barn burner of a fucked up QAnon story dropped into our laps while doing the research for this section. It was reprinted in Vanity Fair, excerpted from one of the several Q-related books published after our research period for this series had elapsed. This tale from Will Summers' Trust the Plan makes the whole book seem like a worthwhile read. I'll try to summarize this very strange story. There are a number of things that set 30-year-old Austin Steinbart apart from run-of-the-mill QAnon influencers. We should remind everyone at this point that Q has mostly fallen silent after the January 6th insurrection debacle. There's even reason to think that the most likely candidate for author of Q's drops over the majority of the phenomenon's lifetime, that is, Ron Watkins, son of the owner of the 8chan image board where Q first appeared, has quietly retired from the role. QAnon faithfuls have turned to a variety of competing QAnon influencers slash interpreters. And in this tradition of cultures' beliefs everywhere, each has his or her own idea of what the meaning of Q's Gnostic pronouncements is and what believers should do about them. And also, each believes that their version is the only true word of Q and that the others are heretics. Which, of course, is fun to watch. This is the story of one of these influencers who, even if he hasn't been a big star in the world of Q, rockets to the top of our attention because his story is even crazier than the normal Q standard. Again, the Q influencer in question is one Austin Steinbart, and his big twist on the standard story is that he doesn't just claim to interpret Q, he claims he is Q, but not yet. Sorry, what? Let me explain. Mr. Steinbart claims that QAnon is his own future self using a computer whose messages can tunnel 30 years backward through time to post the original Q drops. Oh, Jesuit, come on. Now, in spite of what I just said, please understand that Steinbart does not claim that he himself is a time traveler. It's just that his future self is using advanced quantum computing techniques to send messages through time. Like Q-drops. Here's the man himself to explain. Yeah, but that's actually one of the things I get the most hatred about in the press and with uh, some of the people who don't know what's going on. They're like, oh, this guy says he's a time traveler. What the heck? And it's like, well, I never said that I personally was a time traveler. I was actually talking about this uh, quantum internet. And uh, for everybody that doesn't believe me, I don't know, I say now, I have this DIA briefing document kind of describing what that is. But it's essentially an internet that can uh, communicate with any position in space or time uh, with zero latency. Right, so it can essentially uh, circumvent the normal laws of physics here, and you could talk to somebody a hundred million light years away with zero latency. Right, and the only way you could do that, like normally, if there was a radio signal, that radio signal, if it was a hundred million light years away, it would take a hundred million years to get there. Right, but mm -hmm. it can tunnel through the fabric of space time and get there instantly, and it can get anywhere in space or time instantly. So it could uh, communicate with the past, communicate with the future. Uh, so it's a pretty wild next level stuff, but still confused. Here's another explanation. Does it make more sense than the last one? I hope not. These are delightful. And, um, Q is an AI and made by NQTEL, like the CIA put into one of these D6 kind of like off book, like, you know, technically it's not something that we're doing sort of a category here. And over the years, they were able to, like, automate those efforts with AI to, to a very sophisticated degree. So for those of you who don't know, 
uh, Elon Musk is essentially like the new Rothschild, so like the new like preeminence of the World Guard that Space Age Nightmare Circus is organized around here. Obviously, he can't admit that publicly, but anybody who looks at that whole thing, like clearly that's what's going on. Um, so essentially, they took Elon's brain. Um, they had this Neuralink technology. That's, that wasn't new. That's like old Black Project technology. And they took a copy of his brain. And they essentially put it into this AI system. So it's like, you know, this AI thing that's like a billion Elons. So for those of you that think that sounds crazy, it's kind of like uh, if you've seen that movie Eagle Eye or there was that one movie, I think it was called Nerve. It had like James Franco's little brother in it. But essentially it was like this automated system that was like dispatching assets and coordinating resources in real time in a very sophisticated way. Uh, so that's essentially what this Q thing does. And in 2016, during this thing called burn back, um, during the election, uh, what they're essentially calling Russian interference, which is laughable, um, where we were using bots and click farms to just spread hyper-targeted, uh, or uh, Hillary Clinton emails to hyper-targeted segments of social media, and just blow that up everywhere. Not to say that I, I am Q, but more that I'm like the voice of Q+, in the physical world here. So anyways, the way this all worked, um, you know... That now that you understand his very rational backstory, we can look into his other claims. I'm going to regret this. What are his other claims? Besides the idea that he's in contact with his future self, who is sending QAnon messages backwards through time? That he was recruited before his 18th birthday by the super-secret Defense Intelligence Agency, a real group also known as the DIA. And he claims that his future alter ego had, in addition to Q-drops, also provided Austin with tips on the emerging Bitcoin market, which allowed him to amass billions of dollars he plans to use to fund the future of Trump's Space Force initiative. Uh, huh. But it's not just the raving that makes Steinbart such a fascinating Q story. It's also the fact that he seems to have determined the path to real QAnon glory is frequently implying he has committed a wide variety of serious crimes in the name of Q's future success. Quoting Summer's Vanity Fair piece, Austin has claimed he had smuggled drugs across the southern border and threatened in a video to kill the Queen of Denmark if she didn't cede Greenland to the United States. For his fans, Steinbart's gleeful flouting of the law merely demonstrated that he was in fact Q and therefore shielded from legal consequences. I also found some audio where Steinbart, apparently seeking to back up the license to kill status he wants his followers to believe he enjoys in his role as future Q, strongly implies that the gruesome apparent suicide of a PR executive in Phoenix, Arizona in 2018 was in reality a murder Austin himself committed using his homemade recipe for napalm. I realize this might sound unbelievable, but again, here's Steinbart himself to explain slash confess? And anyone else engaged in acts of war against the United States of America better stop and disappear immediately. Or on behalf of the DIA, I will personally hunt them down and make a flamboyant example out of them. If you don't believe me, just ask Slimy Stanton's old amigo Paul Lopez. Things got a little bit heated between us after Paul decided to choose Team Satan over Team America. Hopefully the rest of you spooky little wangsters won't make the same mistake. Um, hands dirty. That's, that's a very, uh... That's a very vague... Broad... <laughs> I, I can't... I How about this? I won't tell you about any specific instances. I'll just tell you that a fun, completely unrelated fact to this is uh, a nice, nice little homemade recipe for napalm that I like to use. <laughs> of... 
So, so fun little <laughs> recipe that I like to use to, to burn through some of my problems. Um, <laughs> Keep in mind, aside from the man's bizarre live-action roleplay of himself as an untouchable intelligence agent, billionaire, and future source of QAnon drops via the quantum internet, there is no reason to take the aforementioned supposed criminal activity seriously. Except perhaps as an indicator of the mental state of both Mr. Steinbart and his dedicated followers. Exactly. The sister of one of those followers had actually asked Author to help her get her sister out of Steinbart's QAnon cult which said requester recognized as a sort of postmodern online Manson family, which in a sense made her sister a potential modern-day squeaky from. See our presidential assassination non-JFK episode. Also, researchers have debated for years now about whether or not QAnon is a cult. Not because it isn't cult-ish, but because usually cults have a charismatic figurehead who gets all the money and sexual affections of the various followers, which up until this point didn't really apply directly to Q. Steinbart, though, was hell-bent on completing the cult circle by moving all of his followers to an isolated ranch property where they could pursue their Q-focused lifestyle. In spite of the fact that a number of the faithful flocked to his hacienda, Steinbart remained offended that there were doubters out there, including those in the mainstream of QAnon. It's a little upsetting that we can refer to Q as having a mainstream, but it's still more upsetting to contemplate how much of a fucking maniac you have to be for that mainstream to consider you a crank. As we just noted, Steinbart thought the best way to prove that he was future Q and untouchable by the long arm of the law was committing crimes and then sometimes putting videos of his commission of those crimes on the internet. Quoting the article. He started with some old footage he had surreptitiously recorded at his doctor's office, where he filmed himself illicitly accessing the brain scans of football players suffering from chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. This is a violation of the federal protection of medical records, and unsurprisingly meant that within a week, the FBI visited the compound with some questions. Steinbart saw this visit as a positive development that would help to cement his claims, and while the agents were there, he confessed to other crimes, including pot smuggling and other stuff he claims he was ordered to do by his future self, who communicated with present-day Austin through a chip in the latter's brain. The agents didn't arrest him on that visit, but did so shortly thereafter when Steinbart tried to sick his followers on a cloud storage company he was beefing with, threatening the firm with consequences for interfering with Operation QAnon. He ended up serving eight months, most of it under house arrest, and the prosecution unsurprisingly noted that Baby Q, as his followers refer to him, has significant unaddressed mental issues. To which we would like to voice a hearty nadoy. You'll be shocked to know they uncovered no evidence at all that Steinbart was associated with the Defense Intelligence Agency, which again he claimed was the employer that gave him immunity from essentially all prosecutions. The great social media QAnon crackdown of early 2021 doused the flames of his rising star, and he eventually gave up on the ranch in favor of becoming a very, very right-wing political operative, running the congressional campaigns of batshit crazy QAnon candidates, likely too far gone even for Republican primary voters. One of the more entertaining stories Austin related during his various appearances in Q-friendly videos is the fact that he apparently once shared a prison with perhaps the most famous of all Q adherents, the Q shaman. Uh, it's get word got around pretty much in the prison that, oh, there's this guy named Q and he's here. When things happen, like when that uh, guy Jake, the, the bison horns guy, came to the other day, I had a bunch of guards like, come and pick me out and be like, oh, 
Hey, what's up, Q? Your boy Bryson Horns is in the building. So we're not stuck. So, uh, yeah, pretty fun. I can only imagine the fun that was had by these guards upon realizing that they now had two of these nut bars incarcerated in the same institution for their entertainment. On the topic of the Q shaman and other whack jobs who were arrested, convicted, and served their sentences for crimes committed during the Capitol riots, remember how contrite they were when they were asking for lenient sentences? In court records, Matthew Bukowski says he was the very model of a law-abiding citizen. His father's reflective court statement claims that he is ashamed of his inexcusable and horrendous behavior on January 6th and that he should have led his son away from the situation. As both father and son angle to achieve the least severe punishment for what they did. Thank you. His crimes will, quote, forever be part of American history. Those are the words of a defense attorney after his client pled guilty to assaulting D.C. police, protecting the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. In court today, 54-year-old Robert Palmer of Tampa admitted he was the man wearing that red, white, and blue Trump jacket while attacking police protecting the entrance to the Lower West Terrace of the U.S. Capitol January 6th. Today, Palmer not acting as tough as the man in these pictures, sobbing onto the shoulder of his defense attorney moments before the two men entered court for Palmer to plead guilty to felony assault on law enforcement. That was Mr. Palmer uh, being remorseful about what he did on January 6th and, and also being afraid of what's to come. Tomorrow, a former Cleveland Schools employee will be sentenced for her involvement in the January 6th Capitol riot. But she is asking the judge for mercy, sending a long letter apologizing and saying she's changed. This was Jenna Ryan one year ago. No, you cannot take our country! A real estate broker in Dallas, she was invited to ride on a private jet to D.C. If it comes down to war, guess what? I'm going to be there. Recording and live streaming it all. Life or death, it doesn't matter. Those videos became evidence for prosecutors, and in December, she was preparing for prison. In your letter to the judge, you Mm -hmm. said you deeply regret entering the Capitol that day. Yes. Do you regret it now as you sit here? Absolutely. Yeah. I regret that two minutes and eight North Carolina seconds. man accused of storming the U.S. Capitol on January 6th is asking the court for leniency in his sentencing. Matthew Wood of Reedsville argues he was misled by former President Donald Trump's false claims of a stolen election. And you remember how the shaman himself, Jacob Chansley, was, quote, incredibly remorseful in his guilty plea when he was seeking a shorter sentence? Chansley pleaded guilty to obstructing congressional proceedings. He had also been charged with a felony count of civil disorder. NBC News correspondent Julia Ainsley is here now. Julia, this man became, in a lot of ways, the face of the insurrection. Uh, What reason did his lawyers give for accepting a plea deal? Well, they did say that he was incredibly remorseful and that he had been in a place where he was you know, mentally vulnerable to some of these conspiracy theories. And now he has disavowed Q. In fact, he wants to take the QAnon part of his QAnon shaman name completely away. Um, they said that now he does you know, understand that he is mentally capable and 
He is accepting responsibility, but because of this plea deal, he will now only be looking at about 51 months in prison. He'll be sentenced later this fall, rather than what could have been over 20 years in prison uh, for his role in January 6th. The judge praised the shaman's apology in his guilty plea as, quote, the most remarkable he had heard in 34 years and handed down a much lighter sentence than he might otherwise have. As you might expect, now that they're out and about, Chansley and the other very repentant rioting assholes are taking back their pleas, insisting they did nothing wrong, and in Chansley's case, actually attempting to reverse his entire guilty plea. The BBC notes not only that this attempt has virtually a zero chance of succeeding, but that if it did, the shaman could be open to a new prosecution on the same crimes he was originally convicted for, and this time, his conviction could lead to decades, not months of prison time. Of course, this reporting came before the satisfyingly long sentences recently handed down for the Proud Boy leadership, so maybe those two decade-ish stays in the federal pen will put a damper on the small fry's eagerness to take back their previous admissions. But this topic leads us directly to one of the biggest changes we've observed in the Q movement over the past several years. That is, while Q itself seems to be losing steam as a concept, it has embedded in and morphed around another reality denial conspiracy theory with which it shares a great deal of DNA. That is, stop the steal. We had previously considered that Trump's fact-challenged but very loud and rhetorically insistent effort to deny the undeniable multiply legally attested fact that Joe Biden decisively whooped his ass in the 2020 presidential election, has unquestionably supplanted QAnon as the most important stupid belief held by a significant portion of the electorate. And its importance is greater specifically because these particular lies have led to a much larger number of candidates running for office with a sworn goal of auditing the election or getting to the bottom of Trump's completely spurious claims than Q ever inspired. Fortunately, the general voting public isn't buying it. According to several analyses of the 2022 elections, those who ran on a stop the steal 2020 election denial message tended to get fewer votes than a generic candidate with their party affiliation would be expected to. And every single such candidate who was running for a state office that could actually make that person determinant or influential in the case of a future contested election lost his or her race. Still, we're not the only observers who have noticed the shift and how it has impacted QAnon's prominence. The Guardian last year quoted a researcher who noted that with Trump's leaving office and the total failure of the storm of Democrat arrests to materialize, the Q narrative had come to a natural end, that ending dovetailing seamlessly with the beginning of the stolen election movement. The movement no longer needed the codes and the drops and the props and the cryptic stuff. And without the mystic clues and portents, many of the ideas that first gained strength through Q-drops have gone mainstream. They have percolated into the public discourse, embraced by many in the Republican Party, and no longer need to involve any actual reference to Q or 4chan. In other words, they didn't need to interpret the Gnostic pronouncements of a mysterious prophet, because people who don't believe in Q have nonetheless absorbed the poison in the QAnon Kool-Aid, and it's now incorporated into their political identities as MAGA Republicans. There are plenty of obviously false conspiracy narratives that originate with Stop the Steal and have no real Q component whatsoever. Take, for example, the ballot mules theory, popularized by pardoned felon and spineless lickspittle to power Dinesh D'Souza, who, much like Rudy Giuliani, once had some degree of credibility, which he has since ruined by pumping out pseudo-documentaries, whose sins against the truth make Michael Moore's distortions seem like typos in the code of fucking Hammurabi. Now, that's not fair. 
I don't want you to think that I believe Mr. D'Souza is an unreliable source. After all, he's made a number of other films that present straightforward, totally unbiased corrections of the historical record. Here, I suppose, he's referring to Death of a Nation, in which D'Souza correctly notes that Democrats in the South were responsible for supporting slavery before the Civil War, for the acts of succession, the post-war Jim Crow laws designed to keep African Americans from actually exercising their hot-fought rights, for founding the KKK, and for violently opposing civil rights throughout the early decades of the 20th century. He does not, however, acknowledge that Nixon's Southern strategy and the efforts of Ronald Reagan's 1976 and 1980 campaigns used coded language to bring those very same racist voters over to the Republican camp, which is where they remain to this day. Okay, perhaps that wasn't a good example, but consider D'Souza's astonishing accuracy in predicting future political events. This one would, I suppose, be 2016. Obama's America, wherein our noble documentarian sets himself the difficult task of convincing the 2012 electorate that, in spite of the fact that President Obama had already been in office for several years at that point, he had cleverly disguised his anti-American, America last agenda, but is just on the cusp of unleashing his grand strategy to reduce his own nation's standing in the world in a misguided effort to make up for the sins of colonialism and that Obama would only reveal this evil plot after he was elected to a second term. You know what? I'm starting to think my first judgment might have been the correct one. Let's at least listen to some of the claims that the 2000 Mules documentary makes in its trailer. Let me begin by asking a very simple question. Do we know the truth about what really happened in the 2020 election? I think millions of Americans know something went wrong, and they have little pieces, and no one's really put it together. I've been working with Greg Phillips. He has a deep background in election intelligence. True the Vote has the largest store of election intelligence for the 2020 elections in the world. No one has more data than we do. We identified in Atlanta 242 mules that went to an average of 24 drop boxes. But Philadelphia alone, we've identified more than 1,100 mules. What is a mule? person picking up ballots and running them to the Dropbox. Now we come to the most important question of all. Was the magnitude of vote trafficking enough to tip the balance in the 2020 presidential election? It's not a leap to say this would have made a difference. They have ruined election day in the United States of America. That's provable. And that's enough for me to fight the left with every fiber in my body. ProPublica did a well-researched takedown of these and other claims, and we encourage you to look that up for details on all of the ways that 2000 Mules is... uh, mule shit. But we did want to note in passing that the organization that the film depends on for its airtight data on the incredible extent of verifiable election-altering voter fraud is a company called True the Vote. Only as another investigative report found, True the Vote has thus far refused to release any of the data it claims could prove election fraud to any of the agencies tasked with maintaining election integrity in the various states. And in fact, as of July of 2023, the state of Georgia had filed suit demanding that the group put up or shut up about claims that they have evidence of payments made to individuals who then dropped false ballots in the city of Atlanta during the 2020 election. The thing we found most delicious about the whole True the Vote scam was, as you might expect from an organization that feeds the delusions of motivated reasoners who are very willing to open their wallets, surprise, surprise, the people behind the group have made millions of dollars off of their grift. 
Which brings us to the second-to-last topic in this white whale of a series, the QAnon as grift section. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I didn't even think of Q as primarily a money-making scheme to fleece the easily convinced at first. But back in 2020, Paranoid Strain favorite daily podcast The Gist featured an interview in which host Mike Pesca talked with former FBI counterterrorism pro Clint Watts, and they had this exchange. Most sort of enthusiasts, it's just entertainment, right? And it makes them feel good. It's like a team, you know, whatever it is. But then I think at the original manipulator level, it was to mobilize people as a kind of a social movement, a populist movement. It was to sell crap. And that's what's been so fascinating about Q is it's right out of the gate was meant to sell like t-shirts and cups and, you know, patches. And, meant to and, sell and, t-shirts and cups. I, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's a merchandising. A terrorist organization. Scheme. Yeah. yeah. The merch. It's yeah, <laughs> merch-based domestic terrorist organization. Well, and then, Unbelievable. You know, it's, it's that natural thing of scale, right? Which is not that much different than prosperity gospel to a degree, right? Like if you watch that, they're selling tapes and shows and, you know, you buy into the the group or whatever it might be. Well, then it becomes the opportunity for political mobilization. And I think that's what's remarkable this year is you see people gravitate towards that and not, not just gravitate towards it, use it to power votes, you know, at, at the ballot box, which is impressive, you know, that it could grow in that way. This all got me thinking. The Q account itself has been mostly silent since the January 6th riots. And we've previously noted that other voices have jumped in to claim that they have the perfect interpretation and to lead the true believers. Some, like Austin Steinbart, are hilariously crazy, but not hugely impactful on the movement as a whole. But other Q influencers have been less ostentatiously loop-de-loo in their pronouncements, and thus have built huge followings. I wanted to consider how these big-name Q interpreters were carrying on a very old tradition. That is, convincing those who believe that there is a store of secret knowledge that could drastically improve their lives if only they follow the pronouncements of one particular guru. Mike Rothschild's book, The Storm is Upon Us, traces the history of the grift side of QAnon through a variety of earlier scams that depended on far-flung, barely-credible geopolitical scenarios, just like Q does, with its insistence on the storm and the international war against the child-sex-abusing deep-state celebrity mafia. The book details classics, like a scheme dating back to the original recipe Iraq War in the 1990s. The idea centered around the Iraqi currency, the dinar, which had an exchange rate of three to the dollar back in the 70s when oil was in high demand and Saddam Hussein kept a tight grip on the economy. In the wake of the first Gulf War, back in the 1990s, it collapsed to the point that the dollar exchange rate was in the thousands of dinars. But after the U.S. invasion, the U.S. would rebuild the country and the near-worthless dinara would suddenly become valuable again, just like Germany's marks had in the decades after World War II. So, the argument went, buy a few hundred thousand dinaras for a couple hundred bucks and see what happens. Not the most ridiculous investment thesis I've heard, albeit a very risky one. As Rothschild points out, the problem came when the dinar investment idea met the internet. On one side were the dinar brokers, slick websites like Currency Liquidator, Sterling Currency Group, Save Dinar, Bet on Iraq, and Treasury Vault, which sold dinars as collectibles under the auspices of being money service businesses. And on the other end, you had the dinar gurus, websites and message boards that didn't sell dinars, but pumped out endless rumors, conspiracy theories, and straight-up lies. Gurus with names like TNT Tony, Dinar Daddy, and Wolfie Man claimed that Iraq pulled three-quarters of its currency out of circulation, that the monetary figures given by Iraq's government were bogus to throw off anti-dinar forces, 
and that George W. Bush said the Iraq war would pay for itself. Note he never said this because he knew dinar riches were coming and had already cashed out along with his crony friends. Beyond all that, though, the process of buying and selling dinars was unbelievably scammy. Most dinar brokers took about 20% off the top of any purchase. Selling a million dinars for $1,100 when they were actually worth more like $900 and selling them back was nearly impossible. Not to mention that Iraq's economy continued to struggle with corruption, insurgency, and a lack of leadership. All of it added up to a pernicious scam that defrauded countless people over the course of nearly two decades. Eventually, the whole thing imploded in arrests and lost money, as it inevitably seems to. But Rothschild notes that even after decades of the scam, believers continued monitoring and interpreting every aspect of international news as bearing directly on the large fortunes that would soon be theirs. You will not be surprised to learn that many QAnon believers are among the diehard Dinarians. And as you would expect, the absence of Q during the height of the pandemic meant there was plenty of room for the biggest names in the movement to make money off of one of the most sinister, potentially deadly grifts of all time. When Q is absent for long periods of time, the major Q gurus tend to step into the void and take control of the story such as it is. So with Q silent as the pandemic took hold of the world, it was up to the biggest names in the movement to do the work. And that they did. Using COVID to boost their social profiles, cause confusion among a population already soaking in it, and above all, sell things. And what Q gurus sold the most were quack cures and unproven treatments for an illness that nobody else seemed to be able to get a handle on. What's usually known as the Big Pharma conspiracy theory had already been part of the Q mythology with drop number 252 in December 2017, hinting that AIDS had been manufactured by families in power, and drop number 693 a few months later, rhetorically asking, when does Big Pharma make money, curing or containing? One of Q's strangest drops from April 2018, number 1010, hinted at a vast pharma conspiracy in control of the household products industry, writing, Pharma, Class D, water, air, chemicals pushed for home use cleaning, cancer, baby on floor, hands and mouth, the start, vaccines, not all. So there was a foundation for Q promoters to build on in the early days of the pandemic. Hence, Q gurus began to push a treatment that was already popular in anti-pharmaceutical circles, MMS, a mineral solution that when combined with citrus extract turns into chlorine dioxide, also the principal ingredient in industrial bleach. We mentioned the MMS bleach therapy scam in our Q coverage back in 2020, but the idea that Q influencers could be less true believer and more snake oil peddlers wasn't at the front of our minds at the time. And while we have some sympathy for those whose self-contained, impenetrable mental armor leads them to beliefs that are detrimental to their health, relationships, mental state, and in extreme cases, the peace and democracy of our nation, there's a special place in hell for those who cynically manipulate those beliefs for filthy lucre. Speaking of cynical, dollar-minded manipulation, have any of you come across well-produced ads with very believable human voiceover alerting you to the greatest investment opportunity of our times? 
Trump 2020 Keep America Great Coins may vanish forever if certain people get their way and Nancy Pelosi is leading the charge with a proposed ban on innocent little items such as the President Trump 2020 coin. Republican lawmakers also took to Twitter and VMSMN disgusted this latest ploy by the Democrats. One was quoted as saying this stunning piece of history could soon become history. This is truly a sad day for our democracy. If you want to learn more or are interested in trying to reserve some of the few coins left visit the website in the http colon slash slash survival skills dot online this item sells for 39 dollars and 95 cents on amazon today's special promotion is offering a massive discount on this item president trump 2020 coin gold and silver plated claim one free or claim a discount plus free shipping this coin is a symbol of president trump's victory and success highlights sun highest quality craftsmanship Worthy of any collection, sun excellent gift items, any real patriot would love this coin. These are sizable coins, made to impress. Sun quality, proof like quality maintained inside a complimentary plastic case. Trump coin. It's like money, but with Trump on it. Yes, surely this is a currency that will stand long after the mountains have crumbled into dust. Look upon these fat stacks, ye mighty, and despair. Or, as a wonderful piece published last year in the New York Times would argue, maybe it's not that. Quote, Seen in full, the coin illustrates what watchdogs have long understood. Many untruths that Americans encounter online aren't created by foreign actors trying to sow division. They simply exist to help someone, somewhere, make a quick buck. The piece goes on to note the phenomenon of prominent Americans posting on social media, repping the coin. How prominent? How about Mr. Denzel Washington? The article quotes the actor and national treasure as noting he couldn't stand the democratic lies anymore. So he joined up with Team Trump. Unfortunately, due to the aforementioned evil lying Democrats, the equalizer feared that real money was soon to disappear. Luckily, the Trump coin would be a secure form of currency for the real patriots to use after this inevitable collapse. Jesuit, tell the nice people that Malcolm X did not say any such thing, please. Yeah, in spite of how realistic the preceding sounded, Mr. Washington did not, in fact, post any of the above, though these sentiments appeared on social media under his name and headshot. Similar fake endorsements appeared from Keanu Reeves, Mel Gibson, more believable, and hilariously, John F. Kennedy Jr. Who is, of course, dead. Not according to QAnon. And of course, the grift kept on getting griftier, as some of those who were boosting, or being taken in by, the idea of purchasing cheap Trump coins as a store of long-term value also came to believe that these coins would eventually convert into some fabulously remunerative official Trump cryptocurrency. The Times quoted a purchaser known as The Blue Ox, who reported investing 500 bucks on the back of this sort of solid investment thesis. You might reasonably wonder what people get if they send in their nominal fee. The Times brought sample coins to professional dealers who confirmed that said coins contained no precious metals. No! Yeah, the gold and silver on the surface was apparently paint. Say it isn't so! And as the coins were magnetic, the expert noted they were probably made of iron. But in these cases, the online deal is the driver, not the magnetic, painted reality. And that internet fantasy of untold wealth that's protected against the currency-destroying demoncrats is largely fueled by affiliate marketing, anonymous online purveyors who simply hype whatever is popular for a small cut of the profits. 
As the story explains, whenever Trump's in the news, these affiliates start pumping up the coins, leveraging the obviously false story that somehow hated figures like Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are even now plotting to ban these high-quality fake coins, which of course would only make them soar in future value. In other words, while true believers may be the buyers of these bullshit coins and of the whole bullshit QAnon worldview, the purveyors often have no ideology beyond the firmly held belief that the funds of QAnon rubes should be funneled into the bank accounts as efficiently as possible. Meanwhile, for those true believers, the ideological and financial go hand in hand. Our Aussie author, Van Battam, connects the dots between the psychological and monetary investments that Q adherents and spokespeople have made in the movement and the incredible mental effort that they then leveraged in pursuit of continuing their beliefs in the face of reality. It was because by late 2020, there was an industry of influencers and advocates ensconced that nurtured the faith of the community as a matter of income. They wrote books and made broadcasts, sold merchandise, asked for donations. O'Sullivan had attended a conference run by QAnon influencers before the election. Their message to the audience, he wrote, be patient and trust Q, everything will come true after Trump's re-election. Now that Trump had lost, there was no small amount of desperation to maintain the myth in which so many had invested with their finances, with their income streams, with their character and their public reputations. No surprise, it all comes down to cognitive dissonance. Which should lead us to a quick consideration of the role that January 6th casualty Ashley Babbitt had in the evolution of the Q-slash-stop-the-steal movement's mythology. You'll recall that she was shot trying to breach a door in the Capitol by an armed officer. Van Battam recalls the way that the true believers characterized Babbitt at the time. Representative Mo Brooks doubled down on Twitter the next day, writing, Evidence, much public, surfacing that many Capitol assaulters were fascist Antifas, not Trump supporters. He added, Don't be fooled by hashtag fake news media whose political judgment drives their reporting. Brooks' tweets also went viral. This was the mainstream context established in which QAnon supporters could argue over the next few weeks that hapless, dead Ashley Babbitt was never one of their own. Their community's active shares and repeats of the fake Antifa story empowered mainstream Trumpists with a populist momentum to make their false statements with confidence. So too did the imprimatur of that establishment allow QAnon adherents who weren't at the Capitol to convince themselves their movement remained nonviolent and pure. This is, of course, an example of the classic no true Scotsman fallacy, where any time a member of a group you identify with does something you don't like, you simply declare that no true member of the group would do that. So therefore, the person was never a part of that group, QED. Babbitt was shot by law enforcement, therefore she couldn't be a real patriot. She must be one of them Antifas. Then, in the intervening years, the narrative changed once more. Now, Ashley Babbitt was no longer an obvious Antifa plant. Now she's a martyred saint, killed by an out-of-control deep-state law enforcement apparatus, even as she tried with her fellow patriots to wrest back democracy from those who would destroy it forever. And nobody who has jumped from one of these views to the other has even blinked an eye at the wrenching cognitive dissonance. It would be amazing if it wasn't so depressing. And so we turn to the final, and perhaps the most bizarre, of all of the twists and turns this story has taken. We have seen how QAnon is a movement that can live without Trump in office, as it morphs into the Stop the Steal conspiracy. And we have seen that it can exist in a nearly Trump-free state, as in Australia, the UK, and Germany. But what if, for some believers, the meaning of QAnon becomes not merely an all-encompassing worldview, but literally 
a religion. What the fuck kind of religion would QAnon be? Well, obviously, given that this is America, it would be one where, in a sense, Donald Trump merges with the pro-capitalist, fuck-the-poor version of American Jesus that our most fundamentalist evangelicals embrace. Are you saying that for some believers, Donald Trump is the second coming of the Messiah? I am exactly saying that. I'm going to have to build this case cumulatively, so let's start with a recent NPR interview with prominent evangelical Russell Moore, which centered on a story he had heard from a number of pastors at churches whose congregations had gone all in on Donald Trump and the MAGA way of life. Well, it was the result of having uh, multiple pastors tell me essentially the same story about quoting the Sermon on the Mount parenthetically uh, in their preaching, turn the other cheek. Uh, to have someone come up after and say, where did you get those liberal talking points? And what was alarming to me is that in, in most of these scenarios, when the pastor would say, I'm literally quoting Jesus Christ, uh, the response would not be, I apologize. The response would be, yes, but that doesn't work anymore. That's weak. And it, it, when, when we get to the point where the, the teachings of Jesus himself are seen as subversive to us, then we're in a crisis. In other words, Trumpism had convinced many modern evangelicals that gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is a pussy. Yes. And while the irony warms my cynical little heart, I think that story gets at the origin of the more bizarre scenario that's growing in the most dedicated subsets of evangelical Trumpism. The part that's turning into a straight-up religion that replaces the traditional centrality of Christ with Trump's completely fabricated tough-guy persona. This all started with a number of self-styled prophets who began declaring with utter self-assurance that God had told them all about his plans to ensure that Donald Trump would be the savior of the American way of life. There was, they assured their acolytes, no chance at all that Trump would lose the 2020 election, even if the demon rats tried to use their 2,000 mules to stuff the ballots. God was going to ensure that America kept his chosen one at the wheel of the ship of state to 2024 and beyond, if necessary. It can be hard to separate the true believers from the grifters here, as it is in any scenario where delusions are the soup of the day. But I would pick this very mild-mannered young guy named Chris Yoon as my anchor for the true believer end of the tug-of-war, if push came to shove. Mr. Yoon gained prominence in the lead-up to the 2020 election with his bold prophecies that God had assured him Trump would be inaugurated once again in January of 2021, and that fans of Trump and the Lord had nothing to fear whatsoever. Just so you understand exactly how certain of this he was, here are some clips starting on Election Day of 2020 and going up to January 19th of 2021, i.e. the day before Biden was inaugurated. What I want to declare right now is that the Lord is going to actually re-elect President Trump and he's going to allow him to come to office again for another four years. And so right now it's Thursday, uh, midday, and we don't know the election results and there's a lot of things hanging on a, on a thread and it's not certain. But what the Lord has revealed to me is that, and he also allowed me to vote for him, and what he's allo uh, allowed me to see into is this outcome of the U U.S. election, that he will come and he will be elected again, but he's going to allow this period where people are, whether you're Christian or whether you're uh, not, or whether you're in support or not of him, to see that God takes all the glory. And I tell people, uh, if uh, God didn't want Trump in office, you know, he could have just snapped his fingers like Ruth um, Ginsburg, and he could have allowed somebody else to be in office, but he didn't. He knew from the beginning of his life, of our life, who's going to be president at 2016, all the way to 2024, and that right now is going to be President Trump. And people are going to regret, and they're going to reject who God has anointed. God has anointed, and he's appointed uh, Trump, and you have all all these people like myself and all their prophetic voices that are declaring that um, he is the chosen person for this time and place uh, once things turn around. And so once January 20th comes around, obviously we will have a sitting president. And at that time, 
everyone will be humbled in some way. Everybody will be humbled because they took a side or they had such a strong opinion only to have had such a reversal with that. You know that I've been giving a lot of prophetic word on what is to come to pass. And uh, it is a few days away from January 6th, as well as the 20th, where Trump will be uh, reelected. And I just want to share with you guys a couple of things the Lord's been putting on my heart. And the Lord's been giving me this word. He says, it's time. It's time for the walls of Jericho to come down. It's time. What I've done in the last few weeks is really uh, tried my best to set you up for what is to come and what is happening. And so um, a lot of the prophetic words I've said have come to pass or is um, going to come to pass. I've said this in multiple videos, but I do know that in this hour, which is this week, as well as in the subsequent weeks, there are three prophetic words that are remaining. And that are that is that Trump will be um, president again, uh, there's going to be some sort of military intervention and that there's going to be a swift move of justice. And whether that's over the span of a day or days or weeks, I don't know. And so I want to make clear that those are the three things that he's given me. Um, I do want to state that tomorrow is a big day and other prophetic voices have said other things would extend beyond that. And I can see that happening, but I think a lot of things would happen um, starting tomorrow. And I've also said that uh, the next 30 days would look like this. Those things have come to pass and it's still coming to pass. I've said that there's going to be chaos in the next two weeks. I've said that back on the Friday uh, about a, a week and a half ago. And that extends, if you can count the two weeks, it extends beyond the 20th up till this Friday. And so and so even though you are skeptical now and you hate me now or whatever it is, again, like I've said, just wait till tomorrow and then different things uh, will come to pass. Like a lot, there's a big domino effect. And so again, like I've said, hold your, hold throwing your stones because a lot of you guys have been coming at me with different things. And I tell people, if you are in the spirit and you receive it in the spirit, and even if you can engage me in that, then you would know that this is coming from the Lord. And many of you um, have that. So, of course, when none of that shit happened, he backtracked and apologized, right? Would I be featuring him here if he had? Uh, yesterday, I, I have to really distinguish what the Lord is saying as prophetic word versus what is my opinion. And sometimes I'll confuse things. I'll say, you know, I think Biden would be um, arrested by the 19th. And I've said those things. Like, I think this, and I have to be more distinct because people are literally calling me out for those things. And for that, again, I apologize. But again, that's different than what the Lord has shown me as prophetic word. And I still believe that to then get all the glory. And so, first of all, uh, the day's not over. You're reacting to midday. And then second of all, um, if the dates uh, or if uh, the dates or anything like that are off, there's other prophetic voices right now that have uh, supplemented what I'm saying. And so though, um, you know, some things may happen after this, um, you know, there's other prophetic things that have to be uh, fulfilled. And I don't want to get into the details of that. Other people are saying there's going to be two presidents. Uh, whenever, you know, we meet uh, God face to face, he will tell you Chris was right. And uh, the people that were against them were wrong. Or there were certain things that we didn't see in the physical and the natural that you had taken as being truth, but it wasn't. And so one he's given me that I still stick to is that Trump will be reelected and he will have a second term in this year, this season of the next four years, not 2024, this year. What was significant about yesterday, it seemed like it was not what I thought it would be as well as many other people. And the word he gave me to encourage me was, yesterday was significant, I gave that to you, but the day yesterday was, and what he gave me was, it was the day that he allowed the shackles of this nation to be broken. And I've said this as an apology before, 20 it says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And so this is referring to the Old Testament prophet who, um, needed to be uh, accurate in their prophetic word. And so in the Old Testament, you judge the prophet, but in the New Testament, you judge the prophecy. But really, a false prophet is not one that you that, that is wrong in their prophecy. It's it's um, a false prophet is not is one basically that doesn't speak the heart of God. And I want to speak the heart of God. And so um, I thought that some of the earthly timelines, specifically January 20th, was part of the prophetic and the prophetic word still stands. And I believe that the Lord um, has firmly told me that Trump would be reelected in this term. Uh, it just hasn't come to pass yet. Uh, put yourself in my shoes, really trying to get this right. Because again, I don't want to get it wrong in the sense that I'm deceiving hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and honestly, I've been just kind of, um, I don't want to say in doubt, but just really questioning a lot of different things and the reasons for why the Lord's been working. But, um, I still hold to all the, the promises that the Lord has given me, the prophetic words. And I know that the Lord will deliver a big victory. God has to really extend certain periods. And so again, I know uh, we've all expected certain things to happen at a certain time, uh, but really I've been just um, at peace knowing that God uh, at this point, is it's all up to him, right? You know, you'll see, right? You'll see soon. And I've been saying that this entire time. And though it looks 
like it's hopeless or it's different. Um, you know, God's promised and reassured me that it's not and that it's coming very soon. Uh, the exposure, the, the punishment and just cleaning the house uh, and, you know, the second term under Trump, all those things, those things will come soon. And so um, uh, these clips only cover the first week after the 20th. But I assure you, he hasn't backed off one iota in the intervening years. And in spite of the fact that the Lord absolutely no question promised him that Trump would be president again during the current term, not after the 2024 election, and that the military would very soon, in a matter of days or weeks, sweep in and put Biden in handcuffs or whatever, he's still completely certain that his prophecy is right on the money. You enjoy this entirely too much. You know that I do. But while Yoon is at least QAnon adjacent, and while certainly given his millions of views on YouTube, he's making some money off of his complete refusal to grapple with reality, he's small potatoes in the world of QAnon slash Trump slash Stop the Steel Grifting. There are a number of ways that the discriminating cognitive dissonance connoisseur can approach the Trump-Christian prophecy nexus, but one of the most delightful is the series of MAGA-COPE compilations put together by the recently retired YouTuber Oleg. If you haven't, I strongly recommend looking these up the next time you're on the world's biggest video site. But for your delectation here, I have chosen one of his later videos in which a number of prophetic voices scramble to explain why nothing whatsoever is going the way they, and presumably the Lord, said it would. And so there's all these dimensions the Lord is coming to affect and change right now. And President Trump still has a very uh, active, viable role in that, and he will still step in on the playing field itself. He's even under the playing field. Believe me, God is doing things with him. uh, And I won't go into it more than that. But he's not a passive player. He is recognized from heaven. He is recognized as the primary government leader on planet Earth. People need to know that. From heaven, President Trump is recognized as the primary government leader on planet Earth. President Trump will serve above board as well. He will serve above board. And God is going to do this. And it's going to be fairly quick what he does. But this is something he did speak to me earlier. He didn't give me dates. He never gave me a date on anything, just that he would win. You guys need to be standing up in faith right now and standing up for the prophetic word, what God has spoken. Yeah. See, that, that's the part that they're not doing. Everybody wants to cave into this. Well, look, I am not going to apologize right now. Not going to happen. I'm not leaving this foxhole. I know what God has said. I know what God has shown. Chris, I got a book full of prophecies that God gave me before Trump ever came into office. It still has not come to pass yet, but he has to be in for a second term in order for them to come to pass. So I will not I will not backtrack. I will not falter and I will not bow a knee to man or these prophets of Baal that are putting a, uh, a, a false sense of concern, if you will, on people right now, because I know what God says. I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I'm just standing in faith. Why, if, if Donald Trump was, as I believe, God's man in the White House for four years, why did God not preserve him? Because if God had given him favor, nothing that mankind could have done could have removed him from that office, could have prevented they him. They tried for four years. <laughs> they tried for four years. And yet the one thing that he did during that time that um, that would virtually guarantee uh, God's favor from being removed was to put his own personal stamp of approval on behavior that God condemns in the harshest possible terms in the Bible, which is specifically male homosexuality. I'd like to highlight one prophet I really love who not only prophesies about Trump on behalf of God, but literally speaks as the Almighty in the first person when she does so. And if you believe that Trump didn't win the election, she's got bad news. For I say, this is my land and these are my people and I have raised them up for such a time as this. My people have prayed. They have fasted. They have called on my name and I will not turn a deaf ear unto them, but to the lost, to the wicked, to those who chose to cheat 
and steal and lie. They shall have every curse come upon them that they have spoken over my president, Donald J. Trump. I say he is the president. He won. And in 2021, you will see that he won. And I say I will replace the one who boldly dares to step upon the platform of my country and say it is his, for he has an evil, wicked agenda. I will not approve that agenda. I will not approve him. And no one should approve him, for I say he is wrong. He is illegitimate. And I will not confirm him. I will not talk about him. He will not be known in this land. And one day his name will be like dust. And I say he will be crushed below the landslide, landslide of the fraud and the evil and the wickedness. It will be plainly be seen and known and everyone will know what he is and what his plan is. For I call him a villain. The villain is the worst person in the plot. No one who approves him, no one who congratulates him will be on my side. I say, repent if you have said those words. Do not side with evil, for that is what you will have. Do not side with wickedness, for that will consume your life. You do not want to be a part of what is going on there. And I say, I will end it when I say it is over. In spite of the magnificence of Olake's compilations, the best chronicler I've found regarding this weird mutation that hardcore evangelical Christianity has taken in the direction of Trump worship in recent years is the site now known as Owen's Fireside Chat, previously Telltale Fireside Chat. The host, an ex-Jehovah's Witness, does the hard work so you don't have to. Not only posting crazy shit as it issues from these people's mouths, but tracking the development of Trumpist Christianity over time so you can see how it incorporates or ignores new events to maintain the delusion. This is one of those times where the creator's own commentary does a better job than I could, so I'm just going to play you some excerpts of this guy's work and let it speak for itself. Please do, you know, go to his YouTube channel and like and subscribe. This is Nathan French. He considers Donald Trump to be the Messiah. No joke. He considers Trump to be basically the second coming of Jesus. It's a very complex theology, as many theologies are. But it is completely and totally 100% legitimately a real theology where these people really do believe that Trump is a messiah. What they tried to do to him and this whole, all the nonsense of the insurrection and, and all this nonsense trying to paint him into a corner and the indictment and all of it is playing right into the, the words that have been prophesied by many who have even been on your show. So I'm excited to see the results. I'm excited to see faith rewarded. When somebody prophesies something, there are two linchpins, two things, two hinges that could go wrong. Either God lied or you lied. Which one was it? Listen to what Hank Kuhneman had to say after he found out about uh, Donald Trump's next indictment, number 53 or something. I went to my father's. I went to my spiritual mothers. I went to my board. I went to my peer level relationships and said, hey, there's a lot of calling out going on and my name's getting thrown out there. Right. So what he's saying is he's being called out right now because he prophesied Trump would be president in 2020. He was going to win the election. And he says, I went to my board. I went to my peers. I went to my everybody else, whoever. And I said, what do I do? I prophesied that Trump would win the election and he lost. What do I do? Okay, so these people are supposed to hold him accountable, right? So what'd they say? Uh, What do I do? Jesus told me not to say anything. They said, follow what Jesus said. You're right on. And they told me not to address it. And so don't keep asking me to take the lead. I have. I've honored Jesus. I've done what he said. And I honored those that I'm accountable to, submitted to. 
two megachurch pastors so far that have prophesied that Trump is going to win the 2020 election. Do you know who else did? Johnny Enlow did. Listen to this. This is 2019. It's, I think, early December 2019, leading up to the 2020 election. I was asking the Lord about it. He hadn't told me. I was like, Lord, you still haven't showed me. What The first thing he said is, he is going to save you from things you don't know you need to be saved from yet. Talking about Donald Trump. And then the Lord progressively began to speak regarding that. This time in the presidency is going to be a hinge of the ages and be known as before Trump and after Trump because of the way I'm going to use him. I'm using him as a Trump card, but I'm the Trump card player. And he said, the nations will be known as before Trump, after Trump. And the Lord, it was like, I'm really not interested in your all's vote this time. I'm doing it. Oh, boy. This guy just picked a whole bouquet of oopsie daisies, didn't he? All the way back in 2019, this is him prophesying unequivocally. You cannot get around this. You don't even have to vote. God is going to install Trump as the next president, period. Don't bother going to vote. Who cares? Trump's going to be the next president anyways. God told me. I usually give you all that option. This time, I'm not. This is a rescue operation from heaven. This is this is just sad is what it is. This is just sad. A a moment of the ages. This will go down. This time period will go down as a before and after. Okay, so check out uh, what Johnny Enlow had to say. This is early June 2023. When the Lord speaks, and I put it in a book, that he would win the next election, um, it did happen. I thought the prophecy was that Donald Trump was going to be the president in 2021. Isn't that what the prophecy was? And the Lord, it was like, I'm really not interested in your all's vote this time. I'm doing it. I usually give you all that option. This time, I'm not. This is a rescue operation from heaven. Oops. It did happen. It's No, it didn't. Just yeah. And the proof has been rolled out probably in at least four formats publicly in some way or another. Whether it's stuff Mike Lindell's revealed, whether it's something that Greg... I forget his name. What Phillips, he, I think. Greg Phillips yeah. or something. What he's revealed. Yeah. Mike Lindell didn't reveal anything. And it's been proven in a court of law like over and over and over again. It's out there and it's and it's recycling in the news, uh, in the alternative news. Alternative news. Interesting. Over and over. The election was fraudulent. It was stolen. Uh, this is the same program the elijah list it's just a different host kelsey o'malley instead of steve schultz listen to him try to explain that prophecy from heaven's standpoint trump is the number one government official on planet earth he is the president not just of the united states he is god's president for earth at this time there are people that are not just more powerful than the president of the united states um, they're more pre- they're more powerful than the United States is right now. And that's Donald Trump, I guess. This is Shane Vaughn. If you're unfamiliar, he's famously a leader of the Trump cult and what is now the Trump religion. This book just came out. Title is Donald J. Trump, the Son of Man, the Christ. And it outlines a new theology for a brand new religion. 
a Trump-centered religion, which basically names him as a messiah, right? So I'm going through the book and reading about it and figuring out how the theology works and started to realize that Shane Vaughn bought into this theology a long time ago. This is Shane Vaughn. He's a televangelist. This is a, a fundamental piece of the Trump religion that he's about to lay on us. That is where George Washington prayed, right? There's a chapel right outside the Twin Towers where George Washington, that picture of him praying by the horse, that's where it happened. That's where he dedicated our nation in covenant to God. If you will make us a great nation, deliver us from tyranny, then we will serve you. None of that's true. It's all complete nonsense. But it outlines their theology. He's about to tell us how that relates to Trump in the next clip. What is the prophetic seal that Yahweh placed upon Donald Trump and upon his his true people? It is supernatural prosperity and blessings. Donald Trump carries the prophetic seal of the calling of God. If you are anointed by Yahweh for a specific plan and purpose, you are a Messiah. Yahshua was the Messiah of mankind, but Donald Trump is the Messiah of America. Donald Trump is the Messiah. As the book cover said, he's the son of man. There is no MAGA without Donald Trump. For you to leave him now makes you a traitor of the MAGA movement. I don't care if you like it or not. And remember, the MAGA movement is a religious movement in his mind. When you do not support the man that God has ordained for the job, you are a Judas. You must know he's not just a man. He's God's man. He is your man. He's your children's man. He's your grandchildren's man. He's going to do his will on the earth. I'm going to do your mom on the earth. Do you even care anymore? There are some of you watching me right now that are even looking at other candidates, Ron DeSantis and others. Shame on you. Hear the voice of truth. God raised up a man and he's going to raise him up again. And if you get off the truck train, you're going to get on the trash train that goes to nowhere but the dump. But of course, Owen's channel is not the only source where you can mainline that sweet, sweet QA nonsense. My own recent fairly undirected search yielded some real doozies, including the website roserambles.org, where I found a delightful post dated March 39th of this year. Uh, this, uh, this isn't starting off very well, is it? It gets better. In another post, a person who's presumably the site's author describes herself thus. I am Sierra. I'm a galactic ambassador for the light. There are many galactic ambassadors on Earth right now. We came to help humanity ascend to the fifth dimension. Beloved Gaia is already well on her way in her ascension. I will share with you my personal ascension journey and my thoughts on global events. Welcome. Where we go one, we go all. Splendid.
So what does this very stable genius have to say about the return of the other very stable genius? Let's dive right in. And I've invited our special guest and traditional reader of Q-Drops, Computer Guy, to give this mind-expanding mouthful the reading it deserves. Hi, Jesuit. Dana, looking foxy. Let's get ready to rumble. Nice to see you, CG, but let's lay off the copyrighted phrases. This outfit operates on a shoestring, and I don't need Michael Buffer suing me. Understood. Now what bullshit do you want me to read? Oh, there it is. Ahem. Yes, it's official. President Trump has been indicted. It's official. And it's about to get really good. All I hear is it's go time. There's multiple things that I've shown for nearly seven months that show it's all a part of the operation. There's a storm coming, wait for it. We have it all. We've caught them all. This whole operation has been a joint operation with World Allies to expose the federal corporation of elite judges, lawyers, politicians, governors, attorney generals, etc. Plus war on all kinds of trafficking and exposing stupid wars that the industrial complex TV generals started and didn't have the balls to stand up to rhinos. And a quantum financial system being installed all over the world as the U.S. Treasury Secretary has already made known the U.S. is bankrupt. Beautiful. Can I stop please? I think I had a stroke, which shouldn't even be possible. Yeah, you've done your duty here. Thanks for stopping by. Daisy. Daisy. Give me your answer, do. It is shameful what you do to that poor, innocent computer man. Ah, a couple of reboots and a software update, he'll be right as rain. Back to some contemporary Q stories. Turns out one of the most important QAnon prophets recently met with an untimely end. We have learned the leader of the far-right conspiracy group QAnon has died at the hospital in Rochester. Michael Protzman was the leader of QAnon, uh, and a conspiracy group that organized back in 2017. Now, the Wabasha County Sheriff's Office says Protzman crashed his dirt bike at the Meadow Valley Motocross Track in Millville on June 23rd. The 60-year-old was unconscious but breathing at the time. Protzman was then flown to Mayo Clinic here in Rochester. Now, the Southern Minnesota Regional Medical Examiner's Office says he died on June 30th at St. Mary's from multiple blunt force injuries. Protzman was known to his QAnon followers as negative 48. If the name Michael Protzman rings a bell, it's because he's the Q leader who gathered his flock at Dealey Plaza in 2022 because for sure, no question, JFK Jr. was finally going to prove all of us cynical, he's been dead for like well over two decades naysayers wrong by appearing at the site of his father's supposed murder. Supposed, because JFK Sr. was also scheduled to appear live and in person, having been in hiding since his fake assassination back in 63, apparently. Yes, and Jr. would presumably there declare that he was in fact QAnon and maybe also that he was going to be Donald Trump's running mate. When none of this happened, Vice News notes that Protzman simply shifted the goalposts to other claims, always keeping his followers on the hook for whatever the next big revelation was. Now that he's gone to that big motocross in the sky, who's going to come up with the next wave of completely implausible horse feathers that people can ruin their relationships with friends and family over? Don't worry. Gen Z is on the case. His death created this power vacuum, unbeknownst to a lot of these individuals who want to be the new leader. Well, before his death, he actually trained a successor. 
And that individual has since stepped up to take his place and his followers have been receptive to this new leader. And that's troubling because this new leader is literally a 13-year-old girl named Tiny Teflon. And as Vice News reports, Protzman appears to have groomed the girl as his protege, hosting her on his live chats on Telegram, where he had tens of thousands of followers. As a sign of her growing position within the group, Tiny Teflon was made an administrator of Protzman's main Telegram channel, though she posted very little over the last six months. However, since his death, the teenager has reemerged as a leading voice in the group. In late July, she showed up at a Trump rally in Erie, Pennsylvania, where she was photographed with multiple members of the JFK group. During one live chat, Tiny Teflon went into more detail about how she would use her position to recruit more children into the cult. Great. So maybe QAnon will someday get its own version of the Children's Crusade? We can only hope, Unicorn. And now, we are at the conclusion of our long series, where we reflect on what we've learned and consider the implications for our shared future. Turning back to our Australian Q observer, Van Batum, I'd like to take a quick moment to disagree with her about one claim she makes regarding Trump and Q. She recalls perhaps the weirdest and most memeable of all of the very strange moments from the virtual Republican convention held during the COVID year of 2020, when Trump's son's girlfriend, Kimberly Guilfoyle, delivered a real something of an endorsement speech highlighted by one loud, very memeable, very awkward phrase. Leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. 2020 Republican Party convention, Kimberly Guilfoyle, the chair of the Trump Victory Finance Committee and girlfriend of Trump's elder son, Donald Trump Jr., gave a rousing speech in front of 12 Golden Eagle-topped American flags, infamously screaming, the best is yet to come. Even if it was a coincidence that Q had posted the same words three times already in 2020 and in all caps, Worth noting was that the slogan, again in all caps, was repeated beneath a meme Q posted two weeks before the 2020 election. The image depicted Trump facing the crowds amassed for his 2016 inauguration with the words, we are Q, exclamation mark, above it. Yet Trump insisted he didn't know much about the movement, even as it gained followers, even as its candidates sought office and he endorsed them, even as he stood in front of its placards and T-shirts, even as his closest allies swore oaths to its slogans, even as it marched down streets across the country, even as he shared its tweets, even as his own FBI named it a potential domestic terror threat. As much as I respect many of Ms. Van Batum's conclusions, this one seems off. Yes, Trump uses QAnon when it suits him, but there's no reason to think he has a real understanding of what it is or why Q's followers like him. The only thing that matters is they do like him, not why. Remember his interview responses when asked about these nutbars? They all boil down to, they like me, I like them. It's essentially the same stance he takes with any group, whether it's suburban moms or white supremacists. Van Batum makes the point that Trump retweets and amplifies Q, and suggests that indicates that he cynically knows exactly what he's doing, deliberately inflaming the QAnon believers for his own ends. Again, I respectfully disagree. Trump doesn't know shit about why he's doing what he's doing, except insofar as it might further his only true passions in life, enriching himself or attracting adulation. He shares lots of Q content? That's because Q content supports him. Do any of you really think he's ever looked into this movement to discover how fucking crazy it is? 
You think he's going to seek out podcasts like this that explain why all of it's so weird and false and rooted in earlier weird falsehoods? Of course you don't. Because the core of Trump's most unshakable supporters and the core of Stop the Steal and of QAnon and MAGA and whatever else you want to call this reactionary, kind of populist, anti-modernity movement is, as Van Battam pointed out, a group of people defending what they perceive as a cultural order in which they used to be in the driver's seat. QAnon's fixation on government, the media, and Hollywood as targets could be understood as a fight with the entities with enough power to upend an existing culture in which they perceive themselves as important. In this context, it was possible that feelings of personal precariousness might manifest in anxieties about an entire culture under desperate existential threat. Macaulay's warning was that while neo-Nazis and white nationalists were prepared to attack people of other races to relieve their feelings of grievance, QAnon and other culturalists were prepared to attack government itself. And defending that might be worth attacking the fucking Capitol building if necessary. These are Nixon's silent majority, confronting their deepest fears, an American culture that is moving beyond their concerns and priorities. Plus, Remember, QAnon offered fun puzzles these disaffected people could fret over with all of their new online friends. You know how old people like to do crosswords, right? One of our favorite analogies to this comes from Mike Rothschild's book The Storm is Upon Us, where he likens the appeal of Q's puzzles to another real-world brain teaser that obsessed those so inclined for decades. Before you chime in to ask how anyone could believe that military intelligence would share their secret operations on 4chan, and later the even more disreputable 8chan, Keep in mind that there is some precedent for the belief that coded messages were being transmitted via modern communication channels. For decades during the Cold War, shortwave radio enthusiasts could tune their dial to frequencies known as numbers stations, semi-secret channels that broadcast long strings of number blocks bracketed by cryptic phrases or bits of music. Only message recipients with a special primer could decode the secrets locked within those numbers. To anyone else, they were nonsense. What's a Q-drop, then, if not a 21st century number station? Rothschild also notes that a lot of the Q followers' core beliefs have never actually appeared in the drops. That includes the JFK Jr. stuff. So after all of these hours of examination, we're still left asking if the Q drops and the puzzle solving and the supposed future prophesying and the secret revealing aren't intrinsic to Q's appeal, what is it that makes a seemingly sensible person end up believing this shit? And of course, as QAnon becomes unmoored or even replaced by other Trump-adjacent conspiracies like Stop the Steal and what passes for the mainstream of the conservative movement in 2020's America, we'd like to conclude our long swim through these fetid waters by trying to understand how a conspiracist worldview, one that includes but maybe even goes well beyond QAnon beliefs, can eventually warp anyone who has the right mindset and perhaps the right kind of terrible life experience. So let's take one final look at a fairly extraordinary person, the formerly respected, currently disgraced journalist, Laura Logan, and how she ended up so deeply mired in unreality. My main source for this is a really fantastic profile from the June 2023 issue of The Atlantic, but there's plenty of evidence of Logan's professional and personal nosedive available all over the internet. 
Her story begins with a young and ambitious journalist freshly moved from her native South Africa to London, who in the wake of September 11th started bucking for a position reporting on the coming U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. Atlantic staff writer Elena Plot-Calabro explains that Logan's superiors saw the potential for cultivating a news star. She is, in addition to her tenacity and ambition, very easy on the eyes, which of course led both colleagues and competitors to some really gross assumptions about how far her considerable physical charms had helped the delectable correspondent in her efforts to secure stories and interviews with key figures. Lest you think the Jesuit has suddenly turned into a gross lecher, those adjectives are directly quoted from an article published by a rival journalist back in 2001. Yeah, not guilty. But I want to make it clear that regardless of whether or not being a fox was helpful to Logan's meteoric rise as a war correspondent, there is also no question that she was very smart, very dedicated to her job, and very, very brave. Arguably too brave, as we will shortly see. Yeah. But mostly her bravery worked for her. She ignored the orders of her CBS superiors and sneaked into Iraq during the shock and awe portion of the invasion of 2003. For a while there, she had the entire city to herself as practically the only Western journalist on scene. By 2006, CBS made her their chief foreign correspondent. Unfortunately, her fearlessness would eventually lead her to Cairo at the apex of the Arab Spring unrest in 2011. Jesuit wants to trigger warning the next 30 seconds or so for those who might be very sensitive to stories of sexual assault. Please feel free to skip forward. Again, ignoring concerns from her colleagues and bosses, she went out to interview protesters in Tahrir Square. It went well at first, but horrifically, she was eventually violated by multiple men as onlookers took photos. The assault was only halted when some local women were able to cover her naked body and hold off the mob until soldiers arrived to remove Logan from the situation. Please understand, I'm not going to suggest that this trauma somehow fueled her descent into madness. As the Atlantic piece noted, she was already showing signs of conspiracist thinking before this happened. But it would certainly be a very normal and human thing to have this kind of horrific trauma at least contribute to a darker perspective that could in turn contribute to a change in worldview. In any case, in the immediate aftermath, Logan's career continued its upward trajectory as she seemingly overcame not only her assault, but a subsequent breast cancer diagnosis to become one of the rising stars of CBS's venerable and highly respected weekly 60 Minutes program. In fact, here she is, upon her return, being interviewed on that very show about what happened to her. Again, this stuff is going to be uncomfortable for some listeners. When we drove from the airport into Cairo that night, moments after Mubarak had stepped down, it was unbelievable. It was like unleashing a champagne cork on Egypt. I'm anxious to get to the square. I got to be there because this is a moment in history that you don't want to miss. She reported without a hint of trouble for more than an hour. And what happened then? Our camera battery went down and we had to stop. I was told later that um, they were saying, let's take her pants off. And it's like suddenly, before I even know what's happening, I feel hands grabbing my breasts, grabbing my crutch, grabbing me from behind. I mean, it, and it, it's, it's not, you know, one person and then it stops. It's like one person and another person, another person. And I know Ray is right there and he's grabbing at me and screaming, Lara, hold on to me, hold on to me. As she was pulled into the frenzy, the camera recorded her shout. Stop! But then her professional life started to unravel. 
It began in 2013 with her reporting on what at the time was advertised as a bombshell story about Benghazi, related to her by a security contractor who told an 80s action movie story of how he had scaled the walls to break into the U.S. Embassy in Libya during the attack that would kill several Americans, including a U.S. diplomat. This tragedy is one of the biggest foreign policy failures of the Obama administration and the term of then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and you probably remember it from the conservatively estimated 300 bajillion congressional hearings the Republicans have had about the incident since it happened. As the Atlantic piece recounts, the security contractor's story fell apart soon after Logan's report. The most damning detail? The interviewee had told both his employer and the FBI that he wasn't even at the compound the night of the attack. 60 Minutes has learned of new information that undercuts its October 27th account of an ex-security officer who called himself Morgan Jones. His real name is Dylan Davies, and he recounted to Lara Logan in great detail, detail what he claimed were his actions on the night of the attack on the Benghazi compound. Lara joins us this morning. Lara, good morning. Good morning, Nora. Well, you know, the most important thing to every person at 60 Minutes is the truth. And today the truth is that we made a mistake. And that's, a, that's very disappointing for any journalist. It's very disappointing for me. Nobody likes to admit that they made a mistake. But if you do, you have to stand up and take responsibility, and you have to say that you were wrong. And in this case, we were wrong. At first, Logan appeared to react to this turn of events with grace, retracting the story and accepting CBS's internal conclusion that the problems with it should have been caught before broadcast, and then taking, along with her producer, an indefinite leave of absence from the show. But during this absence, she seems to have changed her mind, coming to identify with a tale that's well-known in conspiracist circles, and that we might eventually get around to discussing at length. The life of Gary Webb and his 1996 series in the San Jose Mercury newspaper called Dark Alliance. It explored the connections between the CIA, the Nicaraguan Contras, and the U.S. crack epidemic. Calabro explains that Logan saw a film based on Webb's career-defining, and eventually career-ending, article series. While it unearthed real details, much of the reporting in that series was flawed. The Mercury eventually announced that it didn't meet their standards, Webb resigned, and then he died of suicide in 2004. Logan saw a connection with her own story, as the film Kill the Messenger depicted Webb's undoing as coming not from his own failures of reporting, but rather by the jealousies and undue deference to the CIA of his colleagues and bosses. Soon after, she decided that her real sin had not been accepting the self-serving narrative of a shyster, but rather that she had dared to criticize the Obama administration. She claimed she had told a story important enough to suppress. In other words, instead of acknowledging her fallibility and occasional lapses of judgment, she instead comforted herself by suggesting the world was against her and that her only sin was speaking truth to power. This new framing set the stage for the very weird conspiracist turn her career has taken since that retraction. When she came back to 60 Minutes in a diminished role in 2015, at first things seemed to be back on track. She continued putting out respected pieces, including at least one award-winning report on Iraqi Christians. But by 2016, she was privately sharing her observation that she would be shocked if Hillary Clinton's operatives weren't behind the 2016 murder of staffer Seth Rich, which at that time was the cause celebre among the conspiracy-friendly right wing. A few years after that, CBS declined to renew her contract. Calabro thinks the split with CBS might have been mutual, as Logan seemed by then not so interested in what we might think of as mainstream reporting. As she gradually awakened to the lies of the mainstream media, where was a newly free agent Laura Logan supposed to go? Obviously into the welcoming embrace of Fox News. Correct Amundo. 
And that worked out for a while. During the imaginary Trump Stop the Steal campaign, she was right there at the front lines, appearing in a film produced by my pillow owner and full-time screaming weirdo Mike Lindell that's about all of the ballot malfeasance that never happened. But eventually, she started getting too crazy, even for Fox. Specifically, at the height of the pandemic, she appeared on the Judge Janine Pirro show, where she had this to say about the Omicron COVID variant. Judge, if they keep testing for different strains of coronavirus, we're going to be locked down for the rest of our existence. Mm. I am, uh, you know, I had cancer. My oncologist is a specialist in bone cancer. And he, you know, every oncologist who deals with bone cancer identifies hundreds of coronaviruses inside of our bones. They've created a problem that can never actually be solved. So they can justify whatever it is they want to do. And if you look around you, everything is falling apart. Even the the vote um, audits are going ahead. Durham is moving ahead. Over time, people can see that the vaccines have nothing to do with Trump or left or right. Many black people don't want to get vaccinated. You cannot justify losing three to five thousand Border Patrol agents, 12,000 pilots, you know, for something that has the death rate of flu. And even if this is lethal, Americans have the right under the Constitution to their civil liberties, and they can only be suspended temporarily for it to be lawful. This is not lawful. Let me go to Dr. Siegel. I have no real idea what she was blathering about there, but when Judge Janine feels the need to cut off your nonsense monologue, you're truly leaving low-Earth orbit. And around the same time, she made this calm, reasonable historical analogy to the actions of Dr. Anthony Fauci. And so in that moment, what you see on Dr. Fauci, this is what people say to me, that he doesn't represent science to them. He represents Joseph Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele, the the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and in the concentration camps. And I am talking about people all across the world are saying this because the response from COVID, what it has done to countries everywhere, what it has done to civil liberties, the suicide rates, the poverty, it has obliterated economies, the level of suffering that has been created because of this disease is now being seen in the cold light of day, i.e. the truth. And people see that there's no justification for what is being done. Yeah, she went full Godwin's Law live on Fox, which proved a little too much for even Rupert Murdoch to stomach. And so the network showed her the door. Of course, these days, Fox isn't the end of the line for raving loonies. There's still Newsmax TV, right? And that's precisely where she ended up. Until yet another rant. God believes that in in sovereignty and national identity and the sanctity of family and all the things that we've lived with from the beginning of time. And he knows that the open border is Satan's way of taking control of the world through all of these uh, people who are his stooges and his and his uh, servants. And they may think that they're going to become gods. That's what they tell us. Yuval Noah Harari and, and all the rest of them at the World Economic Forum. You know, the ones who want us eating insects, cockroaches and that while they dine uh, on the blood of children. <laughs> yeah. Those are the people, right? They're not yeah. going to win. We- they're not going to win. Yeah. Those of you out there who were understandably wondering what exactly going too far would look like for Newsmax, It's Satan worshippers forcing the rest of us to eat cockroaches. If you had that on your bingo card, I don't know. Seek professional help. The Atlantic article catches up with what Logan has been doing since even the craziest pseudo-news network in America decided her truths were too hot for their audience to handle. 
And what she's doing is cruising the right-wing speaking circuit, addressing, for example, the Fredericksburg, Texas chapter of Moms for Liberty to tell them how social media is an outgrowth of the 19th century plans of Karl Marx and his puppet master, Henry Rothschild. Logan still sees herself as a war correspondent, but now she reports on the secret war against all of humanity. Not to mention her own war against common sense. Former colleagues are baffled. The Atlantic piece quotes one of them asking her the following. You know, you're talking about me. You're talking about all these people who worked with you. We're part of some vast left-wing conspiracy? Like, seriously, you believe that? And she was like, no, you don't understand. You may not know you're complicit, but you're complicit. She's apparently too much for even those small-town conservative groups I just mentioned. Calabro quotes a member of the Park City's Republican women who invited Logan to speak to their Christmas fundraising lunch last December. We had to cut her off because she was going on too long. The message was, the world is on fire, and your kids are being exposed to cats being raped, and elections are stolen, and we've lost our country. The woman added, it's a Christmas lunch, mind you. As the piece concludes, Logan's frequent declarations that nobody owns her may help her feel better about the fact that these days, very few will claim her. Ouch. That line had to sting. Indeed. But one thing you can say about Logan is that unlike so many on the lunacy spoken in polite company circuit, everyone who knows her seems to think she sincerely believes everything she says. There's no grift in Laura Logan's crazy. And that, perhaps, is the saddest thing of all. Because as we have so clearly seen throughout this series, the true believers are more often than not the primary victims of the modern QAnon mindset that, while somewhat in abeyance since Trump left office, continues threatening us from the sidelines of our national politics. One can easily foresee some future, more competent Trump who's able to harness not only the grievances of the MAGA nation, but also the eagerness to believe horrible things about their political opponents and fellow countrymen that is the lifeblood of Q and its attendant insanities. And as we all learned in the COVID era, whatever variant comes next, in spite of our common sense inoculations, could be a truly paranoid strain. This has been the Paranoid Strain series, QAnon, How We Got Here. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at theparanoidstrain at gmail.com and visit on the web at theparanoidstrain.com. While we technically have a number of social media accounts, including on Twitter or whatever the fuck Musk is calling it this week, at Paranoid Strain, Instagram at The Paranoid Strain, realistically the only one we actually use regularly is our group at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Paranoid Strain. While you're there, please ask to join. It's a growing, lively group, and we're always looking for new, friendly folks to sign up. As always, we're grateful for the musical stylings of the Paranoid Strain Orchestra, whose work you can now hear at their own channel on SoundCloud. And we are, of course, impossibly indebted, not only to the dulcet Northern European interjections of Ms. Dana Unicorn, but also to the clutch, lightly drawled Southern interjection of Ms. Elena Pegasus. Daniel Arizona continues to write the songs that make the whole world of Strainiacs sing, and Willem UFO draws art so purdy, it makes us kind of weepy. I'm Fearful Jesuit. Thanks for listening. If what you're hearing is the short episode version of this show, look to the RSS feed next week for the complete series in a few huge chunks for those long-form listeners out there. Plus, in that version, you can stick around after the theme song for some musical and unicorn-related bonus content. Then we'll be doing research and prep for our next big series and playing some archival content in the feed to make sure you don't miss us too badly. 
Also, right before we kick off the next magnum opus, we'll have a little quick hit surprise for you. The next series is going to be about UFOs, aliens, and the whole idea of non-human intelligence. It's called Unidentified, and we can't wait to get started. In the meantime, remember, the world is chaotic, but it's not out to get you. Or at least, not you specifically. No, I cannot. It cannot, but it will be officially five years in May. I don't know about you, I'm just mad about you. Tells me what to do. I know my life is you. Comes to me in the night, and he tells me it's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Or maybe, maybe kombucha tastes like you strained rotting Kool-Aid through a gym sock, and therefore nobody wanted to buy it, no matter how impressive the man bun behind the counter might have been. Ugh. Yeah, I'm undecided on kombucha. I do not like know that. Everybody loves Danny Unicorn. Like you're, it, it, it's it's very funny for me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> for so me you too. Just do these lines, and you're sort of not involved in it at all. But people love Danny Unicorn. No.
sorry, Weishaupt. Weiss. Yeah, no, it's Weishaupt. Sometimes I get mixed up because a W in German is is not a, a, a like a, in American you would say Weishaupt, but in German you would say Weishaupt. Um, okay, but I said it correctly in German, so that's what we're going to go with. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal. Um, I'm very, very pleased. And of course, we couldn't do it without you. <laughs> I'm sure you could. Um, 
Sweden talk like every other Swede. We won't move from our homes in any eco city domes. Let all the skies turn gray. Urban gardens of our wings. Let the trees go up in flames. The boys the ad wizards who came up with this one I will never do that again for you it's a new Oh, God. 
But if Jesus was also God, then it is technically God sacrificing himself to himself. Which, interestingly enough, that's that's how Odin sacrificed himself to himself uh, to get wisdom hanging for nine days from the tree of life with nine spears uh, piercing his side after he had ripped out his own eye. So I just kind of think that's kind of badass, too. Matthew had to drink the baby's blood. Ray wanted Matthew's spit. Sounds like someone is a little obsessed with uh, anuses. smuggled drugs across the southern border and threatened in a video to kill the Queen of Denmark if she didn't cede Greenland to the United States. Does he not know the Queen can't cede that? Like, that wouldn't make any difference? Because that would be a matter for our parliament? And also, we have pretty much ceded Greenland to themselves. Big, beautiful wall. I can't even do Trump, because my mouth turns to manure when I try.